You're listening to Comedy Central. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. I'm Trevor Noah. Today is Thursday, the 24th of September, and we are now just 40 days away from Election Day. So for anyone who's still undecided about who to vote for, how? How are you still undecided? What are you waiting for? Anyway, on tonight's show, Donald Trump is scaring the shit out of everyone. Nobody is getting charged for killing Breonna Taylor and the app that's offering you an exciting new way to get canceled. So let's do this, people. Welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. From Trevor's couch in New York City to your couch somewhere in the world, this is the Daily Social Distancing Show with Trevor Noah. Ears edition. Let's kick things off by talking about all the news that we won't be talking about today, which I know sounds really weird, but thanks to Donald Hunter Trump, we just don't have enough time to cover some of the more fun stories. For instance, the Washington Post is reporting that the Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, has been bringing suitcases full of dirty laundry with him whenever he visits the US. And he does this because all the laundry gets cleaned for free by the president's staff at the White House, which is pretty wild. I mean, this guy runs a country and he's treating the White House like a college freshman visiting his parents for the weekend. It also probably explains why Netanyahu is suddenly signing all these peace deals. Shit, I'm out of clean underwear. Yo, Bahrain, meet me at the White House. In social media news, an app called Gradient is being accused of promoting digital blackface for letting users see what they would look like as other races. And look, I don't know if this counts as blackface, but I do know this counts as a shitty app because that is not what you would look like as a black person. That's just another person. Also, if you're a white person, you don't need a filter to see what you would look like as a European. That's what you is. And then in coronavirus is ruining everything news, it was just announced that the annual New Year's Eve ball drop in Times Square will be going virtual this year. Which means now, if you wanna pee your pants waiting for midnight, you're gonna have to do it at home. And I'll say this, canceling New Year's Eve is a great call. Yeah, I said it. I learned my lesson with 2020 from now on. I'm not celebrating a year before we get to see if it's good first. Yeah, we should see how 2021 goes, then decide whether or not we wanna throw it a party. You have to earn the right for me to celebrate you by vomiting in Times Square from drinking too many white claws. It's a privilege. But I'll be honest, folks. It's hard to care too much about ball drops or dirty laundry or whatever Asian Scott Disick is up to when the world's oldest democracy is about to become the world's newest dictatorship. Never in the history of this country has there not been a peaceful transfer of power after a presidential election, but now President Trump is suggesting he might not accept the election results if he is not the winner. The president is taking a position on this issue that is not just unprecedented, but critics warn it is dangerous, refusing to endorse one of the most basic tenets of American democracy. Will you commit to making sure that there is a peaceful transfer of power after the election? Well, we're going to have to see what happens. You know that I've been complaining very very strongly about the ballots, and the ballots are a disaster. And, I understand that, but and, people are rioting. Do you commit uh, to making know, sure that there's a no, peaceful transfer of power? We want to have, get rid of the ballots, and you'll have a very trans. We'll have a very peaceful. There won't be a transfer, frankly. There'll be a continuation. Holy shit! I never thought I would see the day where an American president would threaten not to accept an election defeat. Because let's be honest. 
This is something you hear about in some random country where America steps in to enforce democracy. I feel like now it's only fair that those countries should send peacekeepers to the U.S. Well, 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 refusing to give up power, rampant disease, and high unemployment. Who's the shithole now, huh? I will say, man, Donald Trump has gone on quite the journey. The man spent his entire life as one of the world's most famous landlords, and now he's turning into the world's most famous squatter. I bet even if Joe Biden wins, they're gonna find Trump in the White House basement someday living that parasite life. But on the real, though, this is a legit problem because a peaceful transfer of power is the cornerstone of a healthy democracy. And by Trump saying that he refuses to leave peacefully, he's basically threatening a coup. I mean, unless maybe what he means is that he will leave, but he just thinks it's more interesting if there's a fight on the way out, which I don't totally disagree with. Can you imagine how fun it would be if the incoming president always had to fist fight the outgoing president? Yeah, Biden and Trump are gonna be at the White House recreating the geriatric fights from the Irishman while Kamala Harris has Mike Pence in a headlock. Oh no, my hair grazed her bosom. Now it's going to hell. And guys, I really hope that there is a peaceful transition of power. Because I don't know about you, but I am not in good enough shape to fight a civil war right now. Yeah, I've been trapped inside my house for months. I'm not working out. It's like I'm a caterpillar that went into a cocoon and then came out as an even shittier caterpillar. Now look, if you've paid any attention to Donald Trump over the past five years, it's no surprise that he likes the idea of being a dictator. I mean, he's written more love letters to Kim Jong-un than his own wife. The question is, will other Republicans allow him to get away with it? And today, several heavy hitters responded. Republican lawmakers defending the idea of a peaceful transfer of power, but unwilling to attack the president directly. Senator Mitt Romney tweeting, any suggestion that a president might not respect this constitutional guarantee is both unthinkable and unacceptable. We just got a tweet from Marco Rubio also, who says, as we have done for over two centuries, we will have a legitimate and fair election. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell tweeted this, there will be an orderly transition just as there has been every four years since 1792. Oh. Thank God, whew. Mitch McConnell says the election results will be honored. And if there's one person whose word we can trust, it's Mitch McConnell. A Mitch McConnell promise is as trustworthy as a husband with glitter on his face. Because now he says the winner of the election will be inaugurated. But you know that if Biden wins, he's just gonna come out on November 4th like, oh, in November 2016, the American people had their say. Oh, we can't just erase that now. They voted once. Why should they vote again? At this point, there is nothing the GOP can do to put people at ease. Because they try and do this. They try and reassure people all the time. And then what do they do? They always end up backing Trump. The GOP treats Americans like a dog being taken to the vet. Yeah, you tell him that you're going to the park. And then before he knows it, he's waking up on a table and his balls are gone. Now, after 250 years, Americans have grown somewhat attached to living in a democracy. So a lot of them are understandably pretty upset about what happened. And usually, when Americans are angry at Trump, they don't have a chance to tell him directly. But it just so happens that today, Trump went out to pay respects to the late RBG. And the people who were there, well, they let him know exactly how they felt. President Trump and First Lady Melania Trump arrived at the Supreme Court Thursday morning to pay their respects to Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
Mourners waiting in line to do the same booed and chanted when they saw the president had arrived. That must suck. It's like Trump's Twitter mentions turned up in real life. Do you know how bad you have to be to get booed at a funeral? Basically, people are like, two things have happened here, death and you, and you're the one we're gonna boo. Although Trump is so oblivious, he probably turned to Melania as they left and was like, what did you do to those people, Melania? They didn't like you. They didn't like you at all. But although booing him might make some people feel better, Trump refusing to say that he would leave office if he loses is a scary thought. Because who knows what could happen with that kind of threat? Well, for more on this, let's talk to a man who's repeatedly refused to leave his apartment when his lease was up. Our very own Roy Wood Jr. Roy, I need your advice on this, man. What do you make of Donald Trump's comments? Because a lot of people are worried that this could lead to election day violence. Man, I'm not worried about that, man. Trump says crazy stuff all the time. That's what he does, man. This ain't that big of a deal. Henry, pack your shit. Come on, son. We got to move. Um, okay, Roy, that's surprising that that's your point of view. So you're not worried that Trump is gonna refuse to leave office? No, 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 man. I'm not worried. In fact, Trevor, everybody should stay calm and remain at home. And don't go out blocking the roads with the protest or anything like that, especially the road between New York City and the Canadian border. That's my phone. Hang on, man. Francois, what's up, baby? You got a room for me in Montreal or no? Alright, that's what's up. My dog. I knew you'd come through. I I hit you, I hit you when we on when we on the road. Roy, what what's going on over there? It looks like you're packing for a big trip. No, I'm just testing my bag. You ain't never test your bag just to make sure that the clothes, 50 pounds, you ain't never... Look, it's not like I'm about to leave America before Donald Trump declares himself king for life. And even if he was gonna do that, Trevor, don't you trust his fellow Republicans to stand up to him? Well, you know, when you put it like that, it actually makes me more worried. No, 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 Trevor, don't be worried. This is America. We're gonna get through this, man. You can bank on it. Which reminds me, I need to close my bank accounts. Hey, I gotta bounce, man. I'm gonna get with you, brother. Okay, Roy, why would you... You know what, I'll, I'll, I'll check in with you later on the show. Does that sound good? I mean, you can do whatever you want, man, but you ain't gonna see me again. Listen, everybody just needs to stay calm and remember that we're going to get through this. Henry, come on, son, just grab a toy. Ah, damn. Roy? Huh, Roy Wood Jr., everyone. All right, we gotta take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about the Breonna Taylor ruling, Jeff Daniels is on the show, and Jesus and Mero are still coming up. So don't go away. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. For months now, Breonna Taylor's name has been chanted by millions of people around the globe, demanding that the police who killed her be held accountable. And yesterday, the grand jury made its decision. 
New calls for racial justice fueled by pain, frustration, and outright disappointment. Once again, rippling across this nation, overnight protests broke out in multiple cities after a grand jury decided that no charges would be brought against Louisville police in the shooting death of Breonna Taylor. The protests started in Louisville, but quickly spread across this country. Demonstrations took place from coast to coast, L.A. to NYC. Crowds gathered outside police departments and courthouses and held marches in places like Milwaukee and Atlanta, demanding justice for the 26-year-old killed while she was asleep in her apartment. The grand jury determined that the officers were justified in firing the fatal shots because Taylor's boyfriend fired at them first. An officer who was later fired was indicted, but for shooting into a neighbor's apartment, nothing for the killing of Breonna Taylor. Yes, all over the U.S., frustrated people reacted to a disappointing but predictable decision, with only one officer being indicted, and not for shooting Breonna Taylor, but for shooting in the direction of her neighbors. And you know, as I watched what unfolded yesterday, like whether it was in the streets of Kentucky or between people interacting online, I found myself asking one question, one question that just couldn't, couldn't get unstuck from my mind. That was who is winning in this whole thing? And I'm not talking about like who this helps in the election, you know, like take Donald Trump and Joe Biden out of this because I don't think that this is an issue that will be solved by just an election. I'm talking about on the ground, the lives of people, who is winning? Because to me, it looks like nobody is winning. Breonna Taylor's family isn't winning. They lost a loved one. They got no justice and they've been thrust into a political firestorm. Black people definitely aren't winning because they've basically been told that a cop can just barge into your house and shoot you. And not only that, they can say that they were defending themselves in your house. And as if that wasn't wild enough, they'll only get in trouble for the shots that they missed. Sometimes you like, if only the criminal justice system valued black people as much as drywall, because black people always told the same things, the same things time and time again. Oh, just be a good person. You know what, if you just had a job, you know what, if you just didn't do crime, the cops would leave you alone. But now, what is it now? Now it's become, well, don't hang out with criminals or don't hang out with people who might have a history as criminals or don't hang out with associates, don't even live in a neighborhood that's considered to be criminal. But you wouldn't have to tell black people all of that because if you told the police to do their job better and not burst into places assuming everyone is a criminal threat, then this wouldn't happen. Black people aren't winning. Why doesn't America treat the police as responsible for their own actions? They're police, they're not bears. If they were bears, then you could say, oh, black people, well, you shouldn't be hanging around the honey. I mean, you're gonna get hurt, but they're not. They're human beings. They're human beings who should be held accountable for what they do. And you know, America tells people a story. America tells people that the second amendment means you should get a gun to protect yourself. But then that same America tells you that if you use your gun to protect yourself in your home, then the cops have a right to kill you. And that sounds like a tyrannical government to me. And if your answer is, well, don't shoot back at the police officers that you mistake as intruders, I mean, you're admitting what we all knew is true. And that is America is a police state and its most protected class are police officers. To me, it sounds like nobody is winning because the police are also not winning, right? All that happens now is that they lose the trust of the community that they're meant to protect and serve. And now, as police, they're running around paranoid as 
running through the streets, praying to God that they don't get shot. Now, two of them were shot, which only increases that paranoia. Now, police are out there paranoid. The families of police are paranoid when their parents leave, when their husbands or wives leave. They're paranoid, right? Because now they feel like an occupying force who's there to fight against the people of the city. But that's not what policing is supposed to be. You can't have effective policing if the community isn't on your side. Police aren't winning. Being a policeman in America is already terrifying. You're told every single day from your training that any moment someone's gonna pull a gun out of a glove compartment and shoot you. That's what you're trained to believe. And in part, it's true because America has so many guns. Doesn't matter if it happens or not, it's in your mind. Police are not winning. Black Lives Matter is not winning when this happens because now people are framing them as a violent organization. Oh, look, the cops got shot. It's because of Black Lives Matter. Not because of Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter has repeatedly said that they're a nonviolent organization. And people say like, well, then why don't you control all your members? Well, because unlike the police force, they don't have a membership structure. They don't have a record of their employees. Anyone can march in the street and claim that they're part of Black Lives Matter. We don't even know if somebody is. Someone can break a window and say it's Black Lives Matter. We don't know. But what we do know is that a policeman is a policeman. They're people that can be held accountable. They're part of a structure. And when they're not held accountable, only chaos will ensue. Nobody's winning, people. The protesters aren't winning. Yeah, maybe there's 2% of protesters out there who are just trying to f shit up for fun, but by and large, protesters do not want to be protesting. People don't wanna be marching through the streets, clashing with police, getting tear gas, getting beaten, getting arrested. They would much rather be living their lives. But they protest because other people can't live their lives. No one looks at a march where people are getting beaten by the cops and thinks, oh, this is a great opportunity to get my steps in. Black people are exhausted. Millions of Americans are exhausted. They're tired. Tired of feeling like they're hunted. Tired of protests in the streets in order to be viewed as equals. They're tired of, of people telling them how to protest. And trust me when I say black people would rather be at home taking a nap. Nobody is winning. And you know what, yesterday got to me, what, like, was, was especially the part where the, where the Kentucky AG said to people, angry about this decision, that mob justice is not justice. Yeah, but then what happens when justice is not justice? Think about it, what part of this was justice? If you wanna say, oh, well, the police followed the letter of the law, did they? Did they, what part of it is justice? If you lie to the police, about what happened during a crime. The police can charge you with something, but if the police lie about what they did, nobody faces any consequences? Is that justice? What does it mean when the system says everything that happened in this Breonna Taylor shooting was legal? Issuing the no-knock warrant was legal. Breaking down the door was legal. Killing her in her bed was legal. I mean, at that point, you can say mob justice isn't justice, but then clearly justice isn't justice either. And the truth is, people, nobody's winning. As society, we are all losing right now. And until there's real justice, nobody wins. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Daily Social Distancing Show. So earlier today, I spoke with Jesus Nice and The Kid Miro. We talked about their Showtime series and their brand new book. Check it out. Jesus and Miro, welcome to The Daily Social Distancing Show. Yo, hey, good to be here. Out to the homie Trevor Noah. How you been, man? <laughs> I feel like I haven't been as good as you guys. I'm not gonna lie. There, there is something that I enjoy about watching your show where no matter what's happening in the world, I always feel like the Bodega Boys are gonna keep me feeling like it's not the worst day in, in history. Do you know what I mean? 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because it's probably going to be worst days in history, to be yeah. fair. So it's, you know. it's very weird. It's very weird. That's our new, our new, uh, our new status of life. We are now the court jesters to the end of America. Like everyone like tunes in. Everyone's like, "Hey, Jesus and Meryl, take our minds off the fact the world is ending." And we're like, "Ha ha ha! Trump's not with with the band on the Titanic." Yeah, but you guys, but you guys are crushing it because uh, I think you're further, you're the furthest thing from being the band on the Titanic because uh, your ship is not sinking. Congratulations, your show got renewed for a third season on Showtime. Let me ask you this: you you guys have described the show as a it's almost like being on a barber shop or at a barber shop, but with more facts. You know, you cover the news, but you guys cover social media. You cover what the streets are talking about. It feels like, in my opinion, of all the late night shows, your show was shaken the least by the coronavirus because you guys have always been wearing hoodies. You guys have always been like, I mean, you got the sneakers that you've been rocking every single day of your show. Has anything changed for you in a big way? I mean, just kind of like balancing, uh, you know, work and home life. Because before, like, I can't, like, personally speaking, like, I I put everything in a nice little compartment. Right. So my office and the studio was work. And then my house was my house where I live with my kids and my wife. And there were two separate entities, you know, like separation of church and state. Now we got the church in the state and it's like holding a Bible upside down and everybody's running around all wild. You know what I mean? So that was the only like adjustment. But like, as far as like, you know, losing the audience and that type of stuff, the show has always been like, you know, Jesus and I like bouncing jokes off each other and like trying to make each other laugh as, a, as opposed to like, you know, s- selling a joke to you. You know what I right, mean? So right, right. it's the energy has remained the same. I feel like because of that. I think as far as like consuming culture to make the show it's definitely changed because before it was like, yeah, you turn on the news, you turn on Twitter, whatever, and you take it in and then you talk about it the next day on the show. But you had the outside life. You had New York City to balance that out. So you had other, you could go to a bar, you go to a movie, hang out with your friends. Now it's like sit in front of a TV, just death scroll on Twitter, taking all this information and now go into your sneaker room and report it and make it entertaining uh-huh. to the world. So that's a little draining and mentally. So you have to do things to balance your mentals. But other than that, like Meryl said, it's basically the same show and it, it's, it feels a heightened sense of importance now because people are getting their information from the show. Before it was just right. like entertainment and now we got Dr. Fauci on, you know, and it's like the same thing with your show. Before your show was just like, hey, here's some levity and a little information. And now uh-huh. it's like, yo, your show is getting people through this pandemic. And I know you get that the same way. One of the things I've loved about the show now is the backgrounds. I feel like you guys have to keep this when you go back to a studio if you do, because I love seeing like more of who you each are individually. Like Jesus, I won't lie, for like a few weeks, I thought that was a Zoom background. You know what? I was like, where do I download that Zoom background of all those sneakers? Because nobody owns that many sneakers. Bro, I... The amount of people that I get, and they're like, this is a green screen. I'm like, yo, bro, look, real sneaker, real sneaker. Like, this is, this is a real <laughs> this thing. Is a real and like you said, it's, it's so, it really, that really heightens the show because it's just like, yo, look at Jesus over there with mad sneakers and stuff. Yo, Miro's in the basement over there. It's just like, these, right. the backgrounds are indicative of who we are. And that kind of helps when we're talking. So you'll see like, Miro will talk about like family stuff and uh-huh, things of that uh-huh. nature. And I'll be over here like, yo, this sneaker came out, whatever. And it's a good blend. And then visually, it looks good. It, it looks different than everyone else because early on in the Zoom, you know, when Zoom got introduced to humanity, we were all looking at each other's backgrounds and we didn't know which way to go. I was like, should I put a potted plant? Should maybe I do a fern, mm, maybe some books? Some art. But I was like, you know yeah. what? I'm going to do the background. I'm going to stand out. So Room Raider, I want my rating, okay? Stop fronting <laughs> on the kid. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? This is all carefully curated. This is not, you know what I'm saying, like just random clutter. Let's talk about your new project. Um... 
you've done everything. You've made podcasts, you've made TV shows, you've got a, a live tour that was, was going around the United States before coronavirus hit. And now you've got a book entitled God Level Knowledge Dots, Life Lessons from the Bronx. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I was like, what, what does that mean, God Level Knowledge Dots? I've, I've never heard that phrase, I, I can't lie. That's just the highest like- level of information you can get. It's just like, it's casual information you get that will change your life. And it's not that deep when you hear it, but then when you stop and think about it, you're like, yo, Whoa. wait a minute. That's, you know what I mean? That's wild. Think about it. You know what I'm saying? This, this is this is knowledge, but it's in a dark form, so it's going to penetrate. You know what I mean? Really, and penetrate your third eye and decalcify your pineal gland. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> it's like when you're drunk at a party and someone or you're high, someone goes to you, yo, if you spell the word stop background, it's a different word. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> and then, see... That's how it goes. You're like, yo, pots. Your vision. You start in your journey. You know what I mean? Enlightenment. Now it's just this. It's just us. It's talking about what we learned growing up in the Bronx. Some stuff that lessons we learned that maybe we learned them, so you don't have to go through that. Uh And Uh then it's also it's kind of it's kind of a photograph of where we're at in life now versus where we were a couple years ago. Right. Those people we were a couple years ago might not necessarily have been people you wanted to watch on TV. So it's also you know it maps the growth. That we've had, and it's just us talking candidly on different things in our life. I'm talking about relationships. We're just talking about families and stuff. I'm talking about people dying. You know, that's my wheelhouse. Right, so, right, you know, right. it's, just, it's just a good collection of us. I loved some of the topics in the book because I've always been amazed at how common our story can be regardless of where we're from in the world. Like, the hood seems like the hood no matter where you are. And in fact, one part of the book is where you're talking about, like, how the Bronx taught you to be broke. And it reminded me of something my mom said to me when the coronavirus started... And I said, hey, are you okay? Is everything good? Do you need any help or whatever? And my mom said to me, she's like, oh, honey, don't worry about me. I've got a PhD in being broke. I can handle this if things get bad. And, and it, it, like, you guys were talking about that same thing in the book. It's like, do you think there are life lessons that you learn growing up in an environment like the Bronx that somebody doesn't learn in, like, a good life, quote, unquote, that they need to survive today? Oh, For absolutely. sure, 100%. If you have never gone to bed hungry or if you've never had to just drink water so you're not hungry, you know what I mean? You could definitely learn something from this book. You know what I mean? Right. Like, if you've never had to, like, you know, oh, I want some meat with my food tonight, so let me uh, just, you know, throw it down my pant leg, you know what I mean, and walk out of the store. You know, you're definitely going to learn a lesson in this book. Like, this book is it's it's not about suffering. That sounds wild, but it's, like, it's really about, like, as you said, like a, a time capsule to, to yeah. a, a point in our lives where it was just like, these were not like, these were not jokes. They're jokes now, but back then it was like, yo, this is real. This is real life. Uh-huh. And we have to do this to kind of like survive. And like, there's, you know, Jesus talks about pain, ran on time, and all these kinds of topics that are really common across the board. Like, you know, right. surviving, eating, paying your bills, et cetera, you know? I know your chemistry works. Everyone knows when the two of you are together, there's just magic. But to see it in a book, I mean, like, you, you've also written differently. Miro, you've got the all caps thing, which still throws me off because it seems like you're shouting at me from the pages of a book. But <laughs> it does make me feel like I'm talking to both of you individually. It really, it really feels like you've captured the essence of Bodega Boys on a page. Were you shocked at how well that worked? No, you know, it was, it, it kind of lended itself because after doing the podcast and then doing live shows and then doing TV shows, it's basically any format we do. We just basically keep the same energy and we vibrate on the same frequency. So right. it was just a matter of just being in the Google document and just working. Shout out to Google Docs because now you're working on the same thing. And I think if we didn't have Google documents and it was like 
old school style where it's just like we're just mailing back and forth like a word document some of that energy and that chemistry definitely would have been lost but having a free-flowing living document like a google document where we're both working at the same time and the editors uh, are working uh, and you can see each other working that lended itself to it being like a stream of consciousness and definitely feeling like a typed out version of the podcast well congratulations the brand is stronger than ever before the book is out the show is still out you guys are still successful still doing your thing i appreciate you for doing it Thank you so much for joining me on the show, my dudes. We're gonna take a quick break, but don't go away because up next, I'll be talking to Jeff Daniels about what it was like to play James Comey. Yeah, FBI James Comey. Stick around. Welcome back to the Daily Social Distancing Show. Earlier today, I spoke with Emmy Award-winning actor Jeff Daniels. We talked about his starring role as FBI Director James Comey in the upcoming Showtime miniseries, The Comey Rule. Jeff Daniels, welcome to the Daily Social Distancing Show. <laughs> Glad to be here. Um, to say that I'm a big fan of yours is an understatement. I uh, have truly always admired watching how you embody characters in a range that I think few other human beings can. And I mean, I feel like you've done it again. This, this has almost widened the breadth of, of, of your range. You know, you've gone from playing uh, one of the biggest dimwits in history uh, in Dumb and Dumber to one of the most complicated and serious human beings, James Comey, former head of the FBI. Before we get into the, the whys of Comey's and the how, which one is harder for you to play as an actor? Usually the guys who are smarter uh, have a lot more to say. So it's just a simple, like, like Will McAvoy or, or, or Comey or Atticus Finch on Broadway. They're all, it's lots and lots of lines. Smart, you know, so you, it takes longer to memorize though. Harry Dunn and Dumb and Dumber, you know, didn't open his mouth nearly as much. And, and it was just someone that stupid is, is easier to learn somehow. I don't know. But it, it, that would be the main difference, yeah. Well, I will tell you this, um, the Comey rule and playing James Comey could not have come at a more, um, I think, fitting moment in American history because as we gear up for, for, for another election, I think a lot of people remember back to 2016 and how one moment in time seems to have shifted not just the election, but American history forever. And that was when James Comey came out and announced his investigation into then um, candidates Hillary Clinton. This show is interesting because it really presents us with the dilemma from Comey's point of view. When you were playing James Comey, what, what were you trying to give us as the viewer in terms of being for him or against him in terms of what, what decisions he was making? I remember back in October 2016 when it was announced that they were going to reopen the investigation. And I remember thinking something like, what is he thinking? What is he doing? I mean, we were two days away. Uh, Billy Bush's bus ride had been like the day before. Right. Uh, WikiLeaks was making noise about 33,000 emails they were going to leak, which was what Comey had to deal with. Does he get out in front of that? Because Giuliani's going to leak it. And, or, you know, and so he, to protect the integrity of the FBI, he did that. That's what you find out. You find out that he was between a rock and a hard place and he couldn't punt. He had to decide. And there was no easy decision. And any time that, that, a political opinion would come in, whether through his team that he was that was trying to help make help him make the decision. Mm -hmm. He had to swat it away because it had to state an apolitical decision, uh, which I, I I was unaware of that that he worked real hard to push back against the right and also the left. 
He right. had to stay right. true to the rule of law, to the institution of the Department of Justice, the integrity of the FBI. These are all things that are bigger than Jim Comey. And he looks at them like someone would look at their religion. And and that's what that was his North Star. And he made his decisions based on those things and everyone else is thinking politically. And that kind of jumped out at me. One thing I've always enjoyed about, uh, you know, talking to an actor behind the scenes is is learning how they discover a part of a human being that we didn't get to see in the public eye. What, what were some of the things that you discovered about the man that we never got to see because we were looking at the agents? Jim Comey was accused of being self-righteous and a Boy Scout and his right was bigger than your right and his, you know, his morality was bigger than... And, and I, you know, certainly if you disagreed with his decision or you were looking at it politically, I can see how you would go to that because he was going, no, I'm going to serve something bigger. But the other thing that I learned about him, and it's even more so in, contra- in contrast to Trump, is that Jim Comey at the bottom, at the bottom is honest, decent, open, will tell you the truth, um, compassionate, cares about other people, um, is self-effacing, is humble, certainly ambitious, but but not to the point of trampling over people. Mm-hmm. That's when you you look at that and you look at Comey Rule and you see an example of that. And it's not Boy Scout. It's not Pollyanna. It's who the guy is. It's what he believes. And... It's shocking to see that because we've had four years of the opposite. And you want to put something on the ballot, put decency on the ballot, put compassion on the ballot, put caring about someone other than yourself on the ballot or your political party. I'd like to see that. Jim Comey is a good example of that as a former Republican, by the way. That's 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 what he used to be. I don't know what he is now. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, you've done it before. I genuinely believe that you've done it again. It is a stellar performance that brings to life someone uh, that everyone thought they knew and maybe we'll get to know a little bit better. And it tells a story that I think every American should be talking about, especially before going into another election. So, um, Jeff Daniels, thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank you, Trevor. Pleasure. Well, that's our show for tonight. But before we go, if you would like to honor Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and her legacy, you might wanna consider donating to the ACLU, including their Women's Rights Project. The ACLU Women's Rights Project was co-founded by RBG in 1972, and since then, it has been leading the fight for gender equality through litigation and advocacy. Until next time, stay safe out there, wear a mask, and I hope you'll have a peaceful transfer to next week. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast. 